good evening, everyone. God, it's great to see you here tonight. You have survived the Arctic blast. Congratulations. Well done. And we're, uh, we're happy to be here tonight, and it's great to see all of you here for our midweek Bible study. Welcome, those of you that are here on campus, and we'd also like to say welcome to those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live. We appreciate you joining in. Just want to give you a couple of announcements this evening before Pastor comes. First of all, we want to remind you of a couple of important uh, and special Sundays coming up. First of all, this coming Sunday, the 21st, Brother Steve Cannon, our uh, Director of Children's Ministries, will be speaking in our 11 a.m. service. And then the following Sunday, the 28th, Brother A.J. Holloway will be back with us and speaking in our Sunday service. So um, both incredible men, we've heard them before, and uh, they always uh, come ready and uh, just sensitive to the Spirit to minister to Grace Church, and so we're definitely looking forward to their ministries. Amen. I'm going to pray, and you are welcome to just remain seated as I do that. Lord, I just want to stand here tonight and thank you for being so good to me. The physical blessings, the financial blessings, the relational blessings, Lord, your goodness is evident in so many aspects of my life. Jesus, I woke up this morning with two eyes that can see and two ears that can hear. I was able to get up out of the bed under my own power and go through my day and pretty much do whatever I wanted to do. There were no physical restrictions on my body at all, and I just want to say thank you for that blessing. Lord, there was plenty of food to eat at my house today. I could have had my choice of just about anything because if it wasn't in the pantry or in the fridge, I could have just gone out and bought it. Lord, all of the access to however much clean water I wanted to drink, that's a blessing. And I just say thank you. Lord, I've got more clothes than I know what to do with in the closet, cars to drive. Lord, it's just there's financial blessings just all over the place in my life, and those things come from you. Thank you for being good to me. Lord, I'm not alone in this world. I have a family that cares about me and loves me. I've got friends that care about me and love me. I've got a church family that cares about me and loves me and concerned about my well-being and want to see good things happen in my life. Lord, thank you for the relationships that you have blessed me with. And, Lord, for your spiritual blessings, I say thank you. Lord, you've got your hand on my life. You have given me the gift of salvation. Lord, you have spoken words to me that I know come from you. Lord, you've surrounded me with mercy and grace, and I swim in oceans of it every single day. These things are not lost on me tonight, Lord. I want you to hear me say thank you. Thank you for all of the goodness that you have just poured into my life. I am grateful. And I know that I stand here in a room tonight of people that can say the same thing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Good evening, everybody. And what you just heard should cause a just a huge response of thanksgiving and appreciation to the Lord for all that he 
blesses us with the things. I thank God to be an American. <clears throat> More than that, I'm thankful that I know Jesus and for all that he does in our lives. Let's give the Lord a hand praise tonight and thank him for being so good to us. Thank you, Jesus. We're so thankful, so thankful. Uh, welcome, everybody. We're glad to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming and uh, being a part of Wednesday night Bible study. We're so thankful to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so very much for being here. And uh, I guess maybe most of you are a part of my Sunday school class on Sunday morning in the Alexander Center. And uh, due to the amazing response uh, on Sunday morning, uh, we're past two Sundays we've had in excess of 55 people. Uh, I know that because the first Sunday we had 55, and last Sunday we had to get more chairs out of the closet. <clears throat> so that tells me there was more than that, probably 60 or more. So because of that, I went over and uh, had to pick up two tables and put out more chairs. So uh, I'm thankful for that. So the point in this is, if you would like to have a seat at a table, you will need to come a little bit early. Uh, somebody told me recently that it was in the class when it was across the hall there that uh, I'm used to sitting at a table and I didn't, I didn't get a chair at a table. And uh, I said, what time did you arrive? And they said, 10 o'clock. That's not early enough. You have to be there a little bit earlier if you want to sit at the table. I love this. I love it. Having a, a, I'm having a great time with that Sunday school class. I'm having more fun than people ought to be allowed to have. So, um, but somebody asked me this week uh, about the, the, it's, uh, the chart that I'm putting on the screen. Um, they wanted to be able to have a copy of that or see that up, up closer I suppose <clears throat> let me go through this explanation and then I'll um, tell you why the reason I'm saying it we all know that search for truth came along years ago I remember seeing it for the first time back in the late 60s um, the people that owned it the Will Hoyt family um, they completely changed the chart they colorized it made it in color paid thousands of dollars back a number of years ago to, to have uh, a lot of those, uh, the pictures, the pictorial part of it done in color. Uh, some of those were hand painted and uh, went through a, a lot of expense to have that done. Uh, the company was eventually bought out and uh, there was a few revisions made to the chart and to the material, very few. And uh, they renamed it Search for Truth 2. But now, I guess, due to copyright, and I don't know how that works legally, but now it is back to just Search for Truth again. The chart I use was the, the new name. It went from Search for Truth to Light for Living, Search for Truth 2, and Search for Truth. Same, essentially the same material, just changed the names. The chart I use is Light for Living. And I don't know if you could even find that chart anymore. 
and no, you can't have mine, you can't borrow mine, uh, don't even ask. But Word of Flame has, has, has been producing a Bible for a long time. Our sweet sister Wanda Riddick gave me this Bible last year, and I've enjoyed it very much, but it's to help you and assist you to teach uh, search for what is search for truth now. It's essentially the same thing, but on the inside of this Bible, they have all the pictures of the chart, and it's what I'm using on Sunday morning with just minor revision. I've noticed some of you in the class have this Bible. If you'd like to have one, you can get it from our uh, United Pentecostal Church bookstore. Uh, see Sister Landry. She can give you the, the, the link, the information, and uh, you can purchase this Bible. So in class, you can have the chart that I'm using on the screen. You can have it right there in your lap and what have you. So just wanted to mention that to you. And if I can remember between now and next Sunday, I'll mention this again uh, this coming Sunday. But do remember there's been a change in the seating. We don't have as much tabletop space as we had. So if you enjoy setting at a table, get here early, get your cup of coffee, get your four or five donuts that you usually eat, and go sit down and uh, reserve your seat. Some of the classroom two people just felt entitled the first Sunday. Well, I'm used to sitting right here and right here and right here, and somebody has my chair. I said, well, we have reserved seating signs that we can hang on your chair if you want us to. Otherwise, that's probably not going to happen. Otherwise, just get here early to get your seat. That's the whole point of all this. So I'm having a good time tonight. Glad y'all are here. Uh, along with Brother Jason, so, so thankful all of you survived this Arctic blast. And uh, take hope, Louisiana. The weather changes by the moment. I understand next week we'll be back in the 70s. So welcome to Louisiana winter. And colds and flu and all of that that goes along with it right so god bless you folks what a great time we had here sunday uh just cannot express my gratitude for our sweet jesus showing up here in such such an amazing way and uh so thankful that the word of god is still impactful in our lives and uh very thankful for all of you that were here Sunday morning. I am happy to announce that we just keep inching closer and closer to breaking that 200 mark on Sunday, and I'm anxious for that to happen again. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> this past Sunday, as you may remember, I preached to you there are some things that glitter that are gold. And I mentioned in that sermon uh, Sunday that um, talked about destination, talked about do you, do you think of where you're going to be in the next five years, 20 years, and so on? Um, I want to go down that path again tonight. Uh, I'm going to talk about vision uh, for the next couple of Wednesday nights. Um, I want to present material tonight that I have wanted to present to Grace Church for a long time. And um, uh, the past two Wednesday nights, I broke one lesson into two parts, and I called it the pursuit of vision. Uh, that one lesson broken into two parts was what I would call part one of this series and tonight's going to begin part two and I'll probably break it down into perhaps two maybe even three parts to get through it I want to teach shorter segments of it so I don't 
overwhelm you with material. Um, but tonight's going to be very special and very important to me personally. Trust that is to you as well. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Second uh, Kings chapter 6, verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And I'm praying that God does that to all of us uh, that's a part of Grace Church, that we can truly become visionary people, not just for church, not just for the future of the church, but for our lives, for uh, the rest of our lives, and not just for you as an individual, but for your marriage, your family, uh, your, your job. Um, somebody said one time, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. <clears throat> Media, if you could skip down. Um, I'm not going to go through the Elisha story again. Uh, the version that I use, the pages aren't numbered. So you'll find me here in a minute. <clears throat> For the past two Wednesday nights, I have given you what I believe is a very, very simple but very thorough definition of what vision is. Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to his chosen servants and is based upon an accurate understanding of God, yourself, and circumstances. That's what we've talked about in the past two Wednesday nights. Tonight I want to take all of this I want to take that information and take it a step further. Uh, to, I'll probably spend my entire uh, presentation tonight on just one word that, has, that is the beginning of vision, period, and that is destination. I'm coming from, um, I'm coming from, a, from a point of view that, that's more than just spiritual. Would really love everybody's attention at this point. When I talk about destination, I know I'll begin by saying life is a journey, and we all understand that. But we don't plan for it, and, and I'm going to illustrate what I'm saying in just a second. Life is a journey. It truly is. And as we all know, every journey has a destination. And we're going to spend some time tonight talking about destination. I'm not talking at this point about heaven or hell, but I'm talking about your destination in this life. We all know you're going to end up in, in one of those two places when you die, but I'm talking about the journey from here to either your death or the rapture. This is where I'm coming from. I was having a conversation with somebody this past Sunday. And uh, when I gave the person this statistic, they looked puzzled and shocked. But from a, a, a minister's point of view, from a pastor's point of view, it's a reality to me that I can't escape. It's got to the point where every couple that I marry, every couple that is married through the conduit of holy matrimony, if you will, 
when they're walking down the aisle, I'm thinking in my mind, you have a 50% chance of making it in marriage. In our society today, half of the people that get married end up in divorce. It's interesting to me as to how long people live in a marriage with the symptoms of divorce written all over it, but they don't do anything about it. Oftentimes, they don't know what to do about it. The other part of oftentimes, one spouse thinks that they're right and the other's the problem. Well, the problem with that is because the other spouse thinks they're right and the other one's a problem. And so no problems get resolved. And I believe it is a part of our culture today that divorce is just now part of it. When you get married, you might make it 15, 20 years. You'll have teenage kids. You'll divorce. Find somebody else and start all over again. When you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I would like for everyone to consider here tonight, you're going to end up somewhere as far as life is concerned. You can end up married to your same spouse until you both die. Or might be three or four between now and your next before you die. Three or four more marriages ahead of you. There's people here tonight that thinks that's kind of silly. It is going toward that. But when you've been through it two or three times, it's not such a concerning situation anymore because like a lot of appliances and even automobiles, they're throwaway. You get done with them. They're wore out. They broke. They don't work. Just throw it away. And that's the way a lot of people look at marriage. There's a similar parallel to what I just said concerning spirituality. There's people here tonight that can't imagine not being in church. But there were people that sat here 10 years ago that said the same thing, and they're not here anymore. It's because we don't consider how important living today is in reference to where we're going to end up at. And people say, well, I can always change. You reach a point where change is not so easy, especially when it comes to your head and the way you think, and the way you process things. I have sat in my office over the past couple of years with couple after couple after couple, and it is amazing to me when you raise simple things, simple issues, simple issues. Oh, I can't do that. No, that's completely out of the question. No, that's just not possible. And they give up their marriage over it. It doesn't matter to them how it impacts the kids. I'm not here to bring negative memories to anybody I don't I don't mean to do that my, my point and it takes for a marriage it takes two people to make it work the one person can't shoulder the entire responsibility and for the idiot sitting here tonight that thinks that's the way it is I don't know what to say to you <clears throat> I'm sorry did I just throw a big wet blanket over all of this uh, destination is important where you plan to end up at and who you plan to be with when you arrive at that destination, we need to start thinking about that like right now. <clears throat> Amen. Life is a journey. And every journey 
as a destination. So where you will end up in the various roles you play, what you will accomplish personally, professionally, domestically, spiritually, that's the question only you can answer. Listen to what I'm about to say. Everybody, everybody, everybody say everybody. That includes me, say that. That includes me. Lives out your life and you will end up somewhere. Y'all agree with that? Few people end up somewhere on purpose because they plan. I'll tell you one thing I didn't plan for, and I honestly have thought about this numerous times, and it fits right here. I never planned. Sister Murphy and I got married. Divorce was never an option for us. Never. We took that word out of our vocabulary. We planned for kids. We did. We planned, we agreed on how we was going to raise them. When we launched into ministry, we, we worked hard. We worked hard to give it all we, all we have. We, we, we planned, we planned, we planned, we planned, we planned. I'm continually in planning mode at this church. We're seemingly, we're always planning something. Amen from the assistant pastor. He knows he's the recipient of 90% of it. Sister Landry gets a big dose of it. Uh, that's what we do. What has escaped me in planning is the age of 60. That's what I didn't plan for. And it's because I turned a deaf ear to the concept, excuse me, to the reality of turning 60. I've heard 60, 65, 70-year-olds, they, they talk about all the aches and pains, and that just went in one ear and out the other, and I thought that will never happen to me. But voila, here we are. I meant that to kind of lighten up things a little bit, but apparently it didn't work too well. Y'all are probably shell-shocked by my introduction, so we'll, we'll move on. <clears throat> Everybody ends up somewhere in life, but a few people end up somewhere on purpose, and those people are people with vision. They may have other things going for them as well, but one thing they do have going for them is the ability to be a visionary. Not necessarily a vision, singular, but vision for, vision for each of the key roles they are assigned along the way. It doesn't matter where they are in life, domestically, professionally, spiritually, and so on. They have vision for tomorrow. They have a plan for tomorrow. They have a clear mental image for tomorrow. Life is a multifaceted journey, and it calls for a multifaceted vision. And whether you're aware of it or not, you should have multiple visions for your life. That is, you have a mental picture of what you want the various arenas of your life to look like down the road. So, what do you want to end up as? It's kind of what I talked about Sunday. Where do you want to be at, at some major juncture of your life? Listen to what I'm about to present, and then we'll launch for a few minutes into our, what, I, what I've come to say to you tonight. There's a big difference between filling bad bags with sand 
and building a dike or a dam in order to save a city. I remember when, when different times of weather and so on, they would call for the weather, people would call for light to moderate flooding or even heavy flooding. And I've seen people over here where um, Pat's used to be, um, the hardware store, came, uh, the name of it's leaving me for some reason, uh, used to be Winn-Dixie years ago. Um, but I've seen people at that driveway off of Sullivan. Somebody would come dump a big pile of sand. There'd be six or eight people with these little old bags. I don't know why they don't make sandbags bigger around. Uh, I guess they want to really test your commitment to filling these up with sand. They'll do them about that big around them, but they're about that long. And people filling them up with sand. There's as much falls down each side as goes in the bag, and they just fill them up with sand, fill them up with sand. And you just look at those people, and they're not having a good time. They're just not like, man, I hope this goes on for another three hours. Man, I could stay here all night and do this. I can't wait to get back here in the morning. They don't do that. It's miserable. It's very task-oriented. It's burdensome, if you will. But when they go place them in flood-prone areas and they see somebody's house has been saved from a flood because of their work, then it's kind of worth it, right? It's kind of fulfilling. It's, you, you understand that you can feel glamorous now at this point because of your hard work. Vision is kind of like that. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment. Takes a lot of planning, but when you reach a certain milestone in your vision or a certain goal in your vision, for example, your kids graduate from high school and they love God with all of their heart, it makes all those other prior 17, 18 years worth it of having them in church every Sunday, of saying, no, you can't do this, and yes, you're going to go do that, and yes, we're going to church Sunday, and yes, we're going to church Wednesday. It makes all of that worth it. And then when you see your kids marry a good godly spouse and they've been married a few years and they come in and surprise you and say you're going to be a grandpa and you're going to be a grandma and, and you're like, man, that's awesome. And then you see them have that baby dedicated in church and then you see that child grow up and you see that cycle repeat. I'm living that dream right now. And when Marcus and Casey were two and three years old, we read them Bible stories. We tucked them in at night and prayed with them before they went to bed. We had them in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every youth group, every youth service, every this, every that. Tell me now what I think about all that labor and work and passion and commitment and determination. Ask me now what I think about it. As a matter of fact, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't remember any of that being work now. The time passed so quick, it seems. Sometimes it's feeling like you're feeling, filling up bags with sand and trying to protect somebody from a flood. That's what spirituality is. That's what spiritual parents do. That's what you do in a family. Because you have a vision of them being used of God. Does something to me every, every Sunday. When I see Casey at that keyboard or up here singing, it does something to me. When Marcus used to play the drums here years ago, it did something to me. It makes all of that work and time pay off. And some of you are right now living that dream as well. 
Nathan, I was excited when I saw Eton bring Avery up here. Now, I'm not calling for all two-year-olds to come running up here every Sunday morning. It might get a little bit interesting along here. But it excited me to see him up here. He wants to see the drummer. He wants to see the drums. And, and he's all getting, getting into it. He's got his little drumsticks where he's clapping his hands. You don't wait till they're 15 to start. They're starting now. And I applaud them for that. So there's four things I want to mention to you tonight briefly. If I don't cover it all, I'll pick it up next Wednesday night. Specifically, vision weaves four things into the fabric of our daily experience. And if you, want to, if you want something to motivate you, to keep you on focus, to keep you on task for the future, to keep desti your destination in mind, your, your destination stays in focus no matter what. If you want that destination to, to come to pass for you as it has in so many ways for me personally and for Sister Merv, there's four things I'll mention to you briefly tonight. Number one is passion. You have to stay passionate about it. You have to stay goal-oriented. You have to remind yourself when you don't feel like it, when you don't want to, when you're tired, you're mad at your spouse, you're mad at the kids, you're mad at the dog, you're mad at the job, you're mad at the car, you're mad at the washing machine, all of that. All of those are circumstantial things. All that's going to happen. All But it can't, it can't change your focus or your passion about it. You don't look at your kids when they're eight years old and say, I'm sick of you, I'm tired of you, I ain't doing anything else for you anymore. I'm taking you to church no more. We're dropping out, we're going to quit. You can grow up ignorant, you can grow up stupid, you can be an idiot. I'm tired of you. You can't do that, right? I'm very passionate about this presentation, as you can tell. Viktor Frankl, an Australian, or excuse me, an Austrian psychologist, who survived the concentration camps of Nazi Germany, made a significant discovery. He found within himself the capacity to rise above his humiliating circumstances. He began, um, he began as an observer when he was put into a concentration camp. He became an observer as much as he was a participant in that horrible, horrible experience. He watched others who shared in the ordeal. He was intrigued with the question of what made it possible for some people to survive when more seemingly died. He looked at several factors. He talked about health. He talked about vitality. He talked about their family structure. He talked about their intelligence level, their survival skills. Finally, he concluded that none of these factors were, were primarily responsible for people's determination to live and to survive that horrible experience. The single most significant factor he realized was these people that survived, most of them had a sense of future vision. The impelling conviction of those who were to survive that. They had a mission to perform. They had some important work left to do when, they, when this ordeal is over, when this crisis is over, when I get out of this situation, I'm going to resume my vision. I'm going to finish out my life the way I planned. This isn't going to stop me. And to do that, they had to maintain an incredible level of passion 
about their vision and it motivated them. It literally motivated him them based on, on Frankel's study. It motivated them to survive. Survivors of POW camps in Vietnam and elsewhere have reported similar experiences. A compelling future-oriented vision is the primary force that kept many of them alive. When we've lost church people, we lost a lot of church people during COVID. I was bewildered. I was shell-shocked, if you will. I didn't know what to do for a moment. It seemed like I was grasping at straws. But after a while, my future vision for this church came back into focus. And when it did, it changed my attitude. It changed my passion. It changed my purpose. It gave me, it restored value. It restored the, 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 the want-to-be-here feeling. It did. People that live visionless, that live week-to-week, day-to-day, week-to-week, Life don't matter. Take it as it comes, whatever. God bless you. But if you want to end up somewhere on purpose, you have to have vision and you have to be passionate about it. About our passion, I want to have you folks understand this is probably as far as I'll get tonight. I want to do shorter segments of this. I hope you all are still with me. We all have some vision of ourselves and our future. And that vision creates consequences. Yes, it does. And more than any other factor, vision affects the choices we make and the way we spend our time. Vision will affect that. Vision will impact that. Let me give you four things about about that. About your personal vision. About yourself. And you you can drag this into your family if it's applicable. The mistakes we make in not being a, a visionary or... If we don't fully develop the idea and the concept of being a visionary, is if your vision is limited, if your vision doesn't extend beyond the Saturday night sports arena of the fall, the spring, whatever your taste in sports is, if your vision don't exist beyond the next television series that's coming out or your next big vacation, if your vision don't extend beyond that, then you can say that your vision is limited. And you learn how to react when you think that way. You react to whatever's urgent. You react to the impulse of the moment. You react to your feelings or moods. There's people here tonight that that live this every day. You just react to whatever happens. And your limited awareness of your options and other people's priorities It's called limited vision. We vacillate and fluctuate in how we feel about our decisions, even the way we make them changes from day to day. Sister Murphy will tell you, I'm not always the happiest man on the planet. I'm oftentimes beset not so much with myself as I am by other people. But I have to, after a while, you have to shove all that aside and I have to get vision back in focus and remind myself of where I'm going, what my purpose is, what my function is, and so on. We can't be week to week. You, we, we can't be day to day. You, you can't be just month to month. But somewhere, I remember back in, I guess it was around the 80s, it seemed like there was, it was a real trendy thing for people to work real hard, retire. And, and buy some version of an RV and take off and travel all over the place. It seemed like every couple I knew 
was doing that. And it, it backfired on a lot of people because their kids and grandkids didn't know how to react to that. You know, the grandparents were always here. Now, all of a sudden, they're never here. And why are we so bad here that they want to go off somewhere else all the time? And not that and it, it just created a lot of things, and that, that trend kind of went away, and it's not nearly as prevalent as it used to be. But people, my point is, is people planned for that and worked hard. There's people here at Grace Church that has done that. They worked hard and planned and planned and planned so they could have that moment of retirement and then hit the road and travel and travel and travel and, and not see beyond that. Not really plan beyond retirement. Not, not put all the pieces in place to make retirement the best it could be and so on. It's when, there's, when vision is limited. The second thing, when you're, when you're looking at destination uh, that's vision-based, it can't be week-to-week, day-to-day, that kind of thing. The second thing is if your vision is based on illusion. And this is when you make choices that aren't based on true north principles. Um heard somebody say one time that they grew up with their parents telling them oh you're going to be a doctor one day you, you, you're going to be a doctor you have all the ability to be a doctor 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 and said all of his life doctor 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 and he said when I was at school in school he said I don't see how they said that because I, I really wasn't that good in science and I really wasn't that good in math and really wasn't that good in social studies and Really wasn't that good in spelling. In other words, I just wasn't that student that had doctor written across his forehead. The, the idea was it was based on illusion. And I, I have seen, I won't go down this path right now, but I have oftentimes seen parents who try to live out their lives in their children and get their children to do things that they could never do. Church-wise, money-wise, whatever. When you want to be a visionary person, you have to make choices that are based on a true north principle. In other words, they're attainable. It's not dreaming the impossible dream. It's dreaming the most possible dream. You, you have to plan for what can be reached and gained and, and what have you. Um, oftentimes, choices that are, that are based on pie in the sky and what have you fail they fail to create the quality of life results we expected, and so people give up on, on goals and, and planning and all that anyway. Our vision becomes no more than platitudes. We become disillusioned, perhaps even cynical. Our creative imagination withers, and we don't trust our dreams anymore. So your, your vision can't be based on illusion. It has to be based on reality, and that's a part of our vision, a clear mental focus on preferred future. And it's based on... Your understanding of God and yourself and your situation, your circumstances, and so on. The third thing about our vision is if it's partial, if it only handles part of our life, it only covers part of our life. If we focus only on our economic and social needs and ignore our mental and spiritual needs, for example, you make choices that lead to imbalance. You can't just be a money maker and expect, expect everything to, to fall into place. And I've known people that are like that. They'll throw a $100 bill at their kid and say, you should be happy right now. Sometimes a kid wants a hug from their parents and not money. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It can't be partial. If, if you focus only on your economic and social needs and ignore your mental and spiritual needs, for example, you will make choices that lead to imbalance. You have to look at all the 
situations of your life and your vision has to be based on what is possible, what is the most doable, what is the most achievable. Don't say, well, I can't be that and I can't do that. I can't be the pastor of Grace Church one day. Nobody's asking you to be the pastor. You're just being asked to do what God wants you to do. That's what we're saying here tonight. And finally, the fourth thing, and I'll conclude tonight on this point, is if you want to be a visionary, your vision can't be based on the social mirror. And we're, we're living in a group of 40, 30, and even 20-year-olds. They make their choices based on the expectation of others. I have to be like so-and-so, and I have to be like this. I have to be the latest trend. I have to be the latest this and that and what have you. <clears throat> Somebody said one time, when man discovered the mirror, he began to lose his soul. And I think that's a very interesting statement because mainly when you look in the mirror, you make sure you look good enough to meet everybody else's expectations of you. If I look this way, if I comb my hair this way, if I dress this way, then all of my peers will accept me and I won't be an oddball and I won't stick out like a sore thumb or whatever. Everybody goes through that. I don't want to walk around looking like an idiot either. But I also realize that I can't meet everybody's expectations. And there's, there's a few people in my life I strive hard to meet their expectations and, and what have you. But it can't be everybody. I can't do that, and you can't either. When you, if you want to look in a mirror, look in this one. And that's, that's where you want to live. That's, this, that's the one up there is the one you want to please, right? And if you please him, he promised that everything else in life would work out for you. And our self-vision... If our self-vision is no more than a reflection of the social mirror, we have no connection with our inner self, with our inner uniqueness, and a capacity to contribute or to give back. We're living out the scripts handed to us by others, which could be family, associates, friends, enemies, and even the media. People live in houses, they drive cars, they wear clothes and all that that's going to be acceptable to their peer group and you'll drive yourself insane trying to please them. I believe the happiest people are the people that are most happy within themselves that has a solid commit, uh, commitment with Jesus. So what are some of the scripts that we live out? Some may seem constructive. You may hear people say, you're so talented or you're a natural ball player. I always said you should have been a doctor or you should be a doctor, whatever. So those are some of the scripts we hear. But we also hear some may be destructive things that you're so slow, you're always dragging around and what have you, you can't do anything right. Why can't you be more like your brother or sister? Those things are destructive to someone growing up. But good or bad, these scripts can keep us from connecting with who we are and what we're about. And, and, and consider the images that the media project. It's cynicism, it's skepticism, it's violence, indulgence, fatalism, materialism. Important news, nine times out of ten, is bad news. And if these images are the sources of our personal vision, is it any wonder that many of us feel disconnected and at odds with ourselves? So, in conclusion tonight, when we talk about the passion of vision, we're talking about a deep, sustained energy that comes from a comprehensive, principle-based, need-based, endowment-based seeing that goes beyond this present moment 
our circumstance. I haven't mentioned this in a long time. I'm hesitant to do it tonight, but but it fits, and it's a, an incredible illustration. Uh, Brother Dave and Sister Farrah have been through more in their lifetime so far than most people will ever experience. Uh, all of you know this, the story of Dawson with leukemia. During that time, their house flooded during the 2016 flood, and it just kept piling on and piling on and piling on. Not once ever, not once ever have I heard a complaint out of either one of them about all of that. Never heard them blame God. I never heard them call themselves a failure and, and all of that. They, they, they just, it occurred to me not too long ago that these two people have somehow through all of that maintained their vision. They've maintained their future. We've set goals. We have principles. We live disciplined. We live committed. And this isn't going to stop that. It's not going to stop that. They are in pursuit of their vision and of all the things, not just distractions, far more than that, almost losing their son. Uh, did they cry during all that time? Yes, they did. Did they get discouraged? Yes, they did. Did it feel like God was a million miles away sometimes? Maybe it did. But they never blamed God. They never cursed God. And they never abandoned their vision. And they took when life finally took its turn and they were blessed now with a, a beautiful home, their son's back on his feet, what have you. They're both, both of their kids are in church. They love God and so on. Now that all that's happened, they've fallen right back into place and become visionary people again. And not only have they impacted their kids, said all that to say this, now they're impacting yours. Our teenage kids and our Sunday school kids. Sister Ferris, our Sunday school administrator, and I, he's over our junior high, high school, and college kids. So not only have they impacted their kids, that vision has gone down to your kids. And they're doing it without malice and without bitterness. And they don't, they're not asking for a badge of honor and a medal and all of that because of what they've been through. They just went through all of that and resumed where they left off with. Because their destination passion-driven people, and I love them dearly. And I love Grace Church. Parents, don't give up. Those of you that are married, don't give up on your marriage. Start thinking about how you want it to be until death do us part, and you start, you, you start a path from here to there. And you live it, you work it, and let God lead you every step of the way. Thank the Lord. Everybody say amen. Thank the Lord. We open with prayer. Let's conclude with prayer. Would you stand with me tonight? Thank you, Brother Jason, for your praying. Really, we have nothing to complain about. We're blessed people, and I'm very thankful to be a part of the church. Thank the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us, shall we? Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for what we've heard. We're thankful, God, for the challenge that's been given to us, the mental stretch, the spiritual stretch. I pray, God, tonight that we can embrace and endorse the rest of our lives. We can't do anything about the past. We can't go back and change it. We can't rewind the tape, but we can do everything about tomorrow. And I pray, God, today that we would plan, that you would help us to plan, that you would show us a path for our lives to walk in, in, in the direction that, that you show us, the direction you point us in. 
not only as individuals, not only as families, but as a church. As we continue to move forward and grow and plan and work, I pray, God, that we see the benefit, the blessing, the payoff. I pray, God, that we can keep our hand in yours, keep us close to you, keep your arms around us. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Shake friends and be handy. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. Adult class people, come early if you want a table seat.